Today's episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast is brought to you by several sponsors. Sea Dick Run is Grand Forks' premier running store. With some of the sport's top brands and products, Sea Dick Run wants to help you achieve all your running goals. Whether you run fast or slow, stop by SDR's new shop downtown to talk to Richard and Adam. They'll get you the right shoes and the right gear as we head into some warm running weather. Also be sure to check out their Thursday night rhombus run and their Saturday group runs from the store. Sea Dick Run, where life and running intersect. Ragnarok Athletic Club provides opportunities for track and field athletes of all ages and all events to train and compete. If you're hoping to hop in some summer track meets, be sure to reach out to the club. Be on the lookout as they'll also be offering some summer camps as well. Get all the latest Ragnarok Athletic Club news on their Instagram, at RagnarokAC. Last but not least, our most faithful sponsor, Draymond Enterprises, Innovation Reimagined. With Cam on his honeymoon, I had to find a new co-host for this week. Andrew Carlson, head cross-country coach at North Dakota State, will be joining me today. A native of Fargo, Andrew has a long list of accomplishments in the sport, both as a pro runner and as a coach. That list seems to keep growing, too, as he's at the NCAA Indoor Championships this weekend coaching. We're excited to have both his expertise and his sense of humor on this podcast. Our featured guest today is known in North Dakota running simply as the GOAT. Pro athlete Laura Raisler, the greatest of all time, is kind enough to join us today. We can't wait to discuss her entire running career from 7th grade state champion to professional runner. We'll also get a good update on her training as we're now only 98 days out from the Olympic trials. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on social media, like and share our episodes, and spread the word about the podcast. But enough about us. Let's dive into the newest episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Enerson, and today I am with two pretty prolific Fargo South athletes, one with a slightly more impressive stat line than the other. We'll start with the one with maybe the less slightly impressive stat line. I've got Andrew Carlson. He won our Instagram poll to be my guest host this week, so thanks for hopping on, Andrew. Well, yeah. First of all, I just want to thank the fans for that. I mean, it felt it's overwhelming to hear the support of four people on Instagram who suggested I do this. I know one is who one person is, but I don't know. I'm excited. I know we have Laura here that you're going to introduce, but I'm more excited for me right now, to be honest, because I don't know what happens after an opportunity like this. I mean, my guess would be your Oprah Winfrey's, your Ryan Seacrest. I'll probably all got their start as guest co-host on a niche track and field podcast about a specific state and look where they are now. And this is kind of my opportunity. So I hope I do well today for my future in this. Yeah, I hope so. We'll wish you the best of luck. Thank so, you. <laughs> the one with the slightly more impressive stat line, we'll go there. When she was in high school at Fargo South, she won 22 state titles with an impressive six straight in the 400 dash. She then went on to the University of Oregon, where she was an 18-time All-American, including five NCAA championships, two of which were individual 800 titles. And now she's still running professionally. Laura Raisler, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks, Andrew, for all the laughs we're about to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. This is my big shot on the Prairie Track and Field podcast where four people on Instagram voted me in. It's going to blow up. <laughs> we're going to be huge. We're going to go national. Yeah, big time. <laughs> well, this is the first time we've had two professional runners, one current, one former, on the show at the same time. So this yeah. is... Uh, I mean, this is well, like pretty big for us too. Ryan, Ryan, don't sell yourself short on all this either because I know you'll get into Laura's resume. But so between Laura's 22 state titles, your state title in the 110 hurdles and my state title in cross country, as a group, we average eight state titles a piece. Like oh, that's wow, pretty that's cool. I mean, you think about three people that get together that average eight state titles. I mean, you're talking about three great athletes. So Ryan, just, mm-hmm. you know, be easy on yourself. You averaged between the three of us, eight state titles. Wow. That I never thought of it that way, but I'm yeah. honored. Me neither. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so Laura, we're just going to start things off. Where are you interviewing right now? Where are you currently at? I am currently in Jacksonville, Florida. This is where I live and train. Um, I've been here a little over three years now, and I train at the University of North Florida. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it or been there. They've hosted some big meets like East Regionals, NCAA East Regionals, um, and they actually just redid the surface of the track and got on it today for the first time. So it's a brand new track, so it's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, sweet. That's so cool. Yeah. So you're in Florida, far cry from your roots in North Dakota. Tell us just like, how did you get started running? And then follow that up with, when did you know that you were good at running? Because 22 state titles is no joke. Was it just like little kid track meets? Was it like a park district thing? Or how did you get your start? Um, yes, uh, little kid track meets and the park district, uh, like summer camps and programs and stuff like that. But um, I was involved in a lot of different sports growing up um I tried just about everything and you know you kind of start to realize like you're pretty fast and especially when you're hanging out with all the neighborhood kids I'm a, I'm a twin and I'm a twin brother and so I'd hang out with his friends and I was faster than all the boys before you know the boys started growing and you know beating me but um I just kind of liked being the fastest person on the soccer field and that kind of stuff and um I was doing those summer track camps and I was very, very competitive and tried all the different events and, you know, just, I loved winning cause who doesn't, but, uh, so that got me to, I ended up wanting to try cross country in my seventh grade year. So I went that fall and, uh, you know, joined for the junior high team. And from there on, I, uh, worked my way up. <laughs> Laura, what did you take as a seventh grader in cross country in the state? Were you second? Yeah, well, I actually ran junior high um, most of the season. Okay. Because um, I'd never, like, gone on runs before, or, like, done mileage or anything. You know, I really honestly did not know what I was getting myself into. I mean, I made my mom, like, walk me to the first meeting the first day. You know what I was like? <laughs> I was, like, anxiety central. But, um yeah, I started and, you know, they just plan on having me in junior high. I mean, none of us, myself included, knew how to do. Uh, and then conference, EDC, they bumped a couple of us seventh graders up to varsity. And I think I ended up like 
fourth at BDC. And then, um, yeah, I ended up at second at state that year. 2004 feels like ages yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you can't tell, and that was like I told you before the, we started recording, I didn't do any preparation for this. I am looking at Ryan's notes, but I'm a big Laura Racer fan. If I can come up with what place you took in your seventh grade cross country meet, I was like, I asked that question. I was like, I, why do I know that? I know it's second place, so I'm not going to pretend, but so you go from second place in the state as a seventh grader, and now you win 22 state titles. It's like, I was going to make a joke and try to get you to just recap each one, just kind of take us through the thought process on all of your state titles. But um, and now I'm stealing Ryan's questions from his notes, but do any of them like stand out to you? Well, and I guess I didn't really do a good job of answering your last question. When I figured out, I was kind of like good at running found my sport. Um, well, I started after, asking you a new question before you could answer it. So uh, I'm not a professional at this. I'll work that your question in, but I <laughs> guess after the seventh grade cross country season, I had planned on, you know, at the time, I was in at Agassiz, going to school at Agassiz. Um, I had planned on running for the junior high track team and, you know, going out for track and doing all that. But, um, yeah, I didn't end up getting to do that. I ran for South right away and um, went to the state meet as a seventh grader. I ran, like, on the four by eight, and I don't even remember in seventh grade. Um, and then from then on out, I was kind of at the varsity level, like, you know, eighth grade for both sports and, and they're on. And I think a title that stands out for me the most was probably the first state title I won. It was my seventh grade year. Wow. I don't even remember. I was going to say eighth grade. No, it's, I knew it was seventh grade. In I'm the so old in the 400. Because <laughs> I, I remember. Why do I know race. that? I remember because it was in Grand Forks. It was the first and last time I ever raced in that in Grand Forks. Uh-huh. And it was cold and icky weather. And I was racing against Allie Smith from Wapaton. And she was the defending champ. And, you know, here I am. I'm out here like a seventh grader. I didn't even know how to run the 400, what I was doing, you know, and I ended up winning the thing. I don't even think I realized what I had started. Um, but, yeah, I'd say that one kind of was where I started to realize, hmm, like, I could be pretty good at this, but uh, I still was kind of just having fun with it. You know, to me, it was just what I've always loved doing, running, racing, being really competitive. Um, and I had no pressure on me at that point. So it was all still really fun. It's all still really fun. But, you know, um, as you guys both know, uh, the pressure definitely changes things a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So did it go from being seventh grade Laura Raisler on the start line? Not really sure what you were doing, but then you win this title to all of a sudden, like that summer, summer running, like your coaches are saying, Hey, you're going to be something special. Like, was it right away that the pressure just started surmounting? I would not say right away. I would probably say it was after that following year, my eighth grade year. Cause I, uh, was I Andrew, was I second at state cross country my eighth grade year? <laughs> I don't know. That. I don't know. No, no, no. I was. I was. I was second, seventh and eighth grade. Um, and I believe I won in ninth and tenth grade. It was something like that. But um I was second again in cross country as an eighth grader. And then that spring was um the first year I won the 100, 200, 400, 800 at the state track meet as an eighth grader. And I think from there on it was like that's what when it changed um 
and I kind of started to run faster times and become more confident what I was doing and um, believing I belonged there, even though there was a lot, most of the girls were quite a bit older than me. Um, I think that's when it was like, okay, if I want to like stay at the top or continue to improve, I'm going to have to put in more work, you know, take cross country seriously, take the summer miles leading to cross country seriously. And, um, and I was still doing other sports at that time. Um, which was good, but, uh, that's definitely when I really started to kind of hone my focus in on running. Mm -hmm. So Uh, most kids, when they're in seventh grade and eighth grade and the pressure starts mounting a little bit and you're like, I could be really good at this. Then they like continue competing in high school. But now you fast forward to your sophomore year and you qualify for the Olympic trials in the 800 meters as a 16 year old. Were you at mm -hmm. the time? Mm -hmm. And then, so we could talk about pressure of winning a state title when you're in seventh grade. And then we could talk about making the Olympic trials when you're 16. Like what I remember, cause I was out there too during that time. And mm -hmm. you, I mean, not only made it, but you made the semifinals of the Olympic mm -hmm. trials. Like what was that? If you can sum that up a little bit, like that whole experience to be that young and to be on that stage. I definitely did not know what, I don't think me, my mom, I, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, like I had gone the couple summers, like the summer of my eighth grade and summer of ninth grade, I'd gone to some bigger meets, like eighth grade, I went to a meet in like New Mexico and, and summer after ninth grade, I went to uh, junior nationals, which were in Indy. And so I was getting a little bit of a taste of racing at that quote unquote next level. And, you know, there's more fans there, bigger stadiums and stuff like that. Um, just to getting a more exposure outside of North Dakota, but obviously none of those really compared to um, going to Eugene, you know, stepping on the track at Hayward Field and there's people everywhere. It's where you look 360 around the whole track. There's like 20,000 people there, um, you know, and I'm racing like grown women. <laughs> like, I mean, I was like, you know, just a girl among women, like for like literally. Uh, and I, uh, I think I was, like naive enough going into the first round which was a good thing but then like following that race I think it kind of all hit me like where I was what I was doing like how big of a deal it was and actually you know you go through the call room when you're done racing and like get interviewed and you know go through media and all that and you know of course they're all like wanting to talk to me and I'm this like little girl in the pink shirt and this and that and I like got back there and got so overwhelmed that I actually like threw up oh my <laughs> I'd, god like go over to the trash can and like I'd, like excuse me I'd like go to the trash can and like um you know as you guys know, like it was just a lot um yes so, as we both know <laughs> the, the following day the as, semifinals, as we discussed the eight yeah, titles yes as we both the, know the following Sorry. day the semifinals I think uh that's when really all that hit me and so I was no longer naive and I, I knew what I was who I was racing what I was going up against how many people were going to be out there and um you know I ran nervous and I ran scared and all those emotions and all that nervousness that I held that whole day um caught up with me and I just was tired and didn't have it in me which you know was still a great experience um you know I ran really well for being 16 and I would not change anything for the world but um it is crazy how much those things play into it, you know, when you're not necessarily having fun with it and just kind of worried sick about it. Um, 
yeah, it definitely, that second day was not a fun day. I was just like ready to get it over with almost. Yeah. So two questions stemming off of that. Was there anybody that you raced at those trials that you had like at that point, not idolized necessarily, but you looked up to, like, were you a fan of the sport at that time? Or were you just going into the race? Like I'm going to race some other people. I was definitely a fan of the sport. I, I've always loved watching track, especially like at the Olympics. Uh, it's always fascinated me. Um, someone I really loved watching was actually not someone in my event. And someone I looked up to and idolized, it was Sonia Richards-Ross. Um, you know, at that time, she was like in her prime, just an absolute beast, like just running so fast. Um, and I got to meet her when I was there in 16 and take a picture with her. And, you know, when you meet your idols and like, they're so nice and encouraging and um, it was really cool and definitely got me all fired up. And then actually another person that I was excited to see, I didn't actually get to race her. She was in a different heat, but she was in the 800. It was uh, Chanel Price. She was a high schooler who was also there running the 800 and she's still competing now. Um, but I thought it was cool because I really looked up to Chanel. She went into the trials that year in 08, having run like 201 as like a high school senior. I think, I mean, she was just having a, crazy season so I thought it was kind of cool to have two high school girls there racing with the big dogs and um yeah it was those two I definitely was excited to see and meet and those are the two I probably remember most from my experience in 08. Mm -hmm. And then my second question is did that just seal the deal about going to Oregon was that like the there was no one else after that or what was the recruiting process like for you? Um that did not seal the deal honestly I college like running track college was probably not even really still on my radar at that point um wow. you know I just was kind of taking each year as it came like you know I started cross country and ended up second at state and then the next year I won four state titles and it was kind of like it was like a lot to process each year so I was just kind of taking it one day one year at a time and um I do remember at the trials in 08 uh Jordan Hesse he ran the 1500 you know and she made the final and they were like shouting the whole crowd was like come to Oregon come to Oregon I definitely didn't have a moment like that that probably would have swayed me a little more but um no I didn't really at that point have any idea where I wanted to go what I wanted to do if I was going to keep running um probably not until junior year you know I'd gone to a few you know I'd run at the Olympic trials I'd gone to a few junior national meets I think at that point I made a junior national team for the Pan American Games as a junior um, in Trinidad and Tobago and then at that point when you're around you know high school kids and college kids so you're around college coaches and you're getting a little more immersed in that environment and kind of getting a taste of what what it's like you know at the next level after high school um, that's when I really started to think about it and you know that's what I want to do what these kids are doing they're running and competing still in college. And um, I don't remember when the recruiting process started. I think it was July of my junior. I don't remember when the timeline was sometime in my junior year. Um, and honestly, the recruiting process was just really overwhelming. Uh, tons of letters and calls and like, it was really a lot. We actually ended up setting a call night uh, for one night a week. Like that was the only night college coaches were allowed to call because it was just like too much and you know I'm like it's a high school awkward like I'm not saying anything on the phone and they're just like chatting about their school and I mean you don't know it's like they're asking these people are asking me to 
plan out the rest of my life. Like, you know, I don't even, I haven't even had time to study for my test tomorrow. Like I can't think about this right now, but uh, for me, I think going to Oregon on my visit really sealed the deal and their approach in terms of how they were going to train me. Um, they just seemed to have a better handle on how they were going to balance the speed I had coming in along with needing the strength for the 800. Um, and so they weren't going to throw me in cross country and throw a bunch of miles on me and approach it that way. They were really going to try to um, make the most out of my speed. And it just felt like it was more the right fit. Uh, and, you know, I clicked with the coaches and the kids and, you know, when you know, you know, it sounds like such a lame line, but it really is true. And I, I just kind of knew after that visit. So at you're at Oregon. I think about like being at the university of Oregon, <clears throat> when you get there is like LeBron James at the airport, like waiting to greet you. <laughs> is it like, like, I always picture like at Oregon, like there's a fresh pair of Dior Jordans every day like in your locker waiting. Is that true? Or is that I mean, maybe for I the football players? <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. There's no one waiting at the airport. The airport's okay. honestly the Eugene airport's nothing okay. special. It's kind of like the Fargo airport. Uh, but yeah. Check that I mean, off my list of things that I made up in my head. <laughs> yeah, definitely not new shoes every day. We were definitely very <laughs> blessed, highly favored and blessed. Uh, it was always kind of like, though, like, a comparison games is always like, well, you know, this is not as great as football or this is what football yeah. has. But, um, you know, at the time it, we were still very grateful and, um, you know, we got, we, we had a lot and we had state of the art, uh, facilities and coaches who knew a lot. And, uh, yeah, it just was a, it was a pretty intense environment, but it was the right environment I want, I needed to be in to, um, run at the highest level I would say as a freshman you're an all-american you come in and most freshmen struggle with the transition Andrew you probably can attest to that being a college coach it takes time but you come in right away and you're a contributor you're an all-american did you feel like there was any transition at all or did all systems just click the moment you step foot there uh it's funny you say it like that because that's not how I see it or saw it at all um and it's in Maybe. your face, Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, it's funny because if anyone else sees it that way, like that's not how I remember it in my head being. Um, I think because you're on s such a high-level program. I mean, like, you have Andrew Reading, Matt Centrowitz, Jordan Hesse, like, you know, this, like, the best of the best people in every event. It, you know, it's like, I, I, I couldn't ever be good enough. Like we have multiple NCAA champions and NCAA record holders, like on the team, it was just like, holy crap. Like, how am I ever going to measure up? Um, so I felt like there was an adjustment period because there's a lot of expectations on you coming in, you know, a scholar and scholarship athlete, uh, you know, they're, they're expecting you to contribute points. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, it's really great. You're a freshman. Like they're, he, they were expecting me to make nationals in the 800 individually indoors off the bat, you know, they're expecting you to make the final and score and contribute. So for me, you know, just making those meets wasn't enough. I didn't even make a 800 final tell them outdoors my sophomore year. And I felt like it just took me way too long to get there. And in hindsight, I should have really more appreciated my journey and what I, the other things I was progressing in, but, um, 
yeah, the expectations were high. So it's kind of like a little pressure cooker. And uh, I was happy with my freshman year, but, um, you know, they're always wanting more out of you and they just want what's best for you and they see your potential. But, um, you know, I think the projection I was on ended up being great for me. I uh, felt like I progressed well as just making the meet as a freshman to scoring as a sophomore and we were outdoor national champions in the four by four as a sophomore and then to be second indoors and outdoors as a junior in the 800 and then to winning indoors and outdoors as a senior I personally was really happy with that progression just because if I would have came out in my mind coming out freshman year looking like I'd have no transition and coming out like swinging would have been like winning as a freshman and I think that wouldn't have been good for me to win you know, a, t- a title as a freshman that would just, you know, there's nowhere to go from there except being in a pressure cooker all over again, just like high school. So I was like happy to kind of stay out of the limelight and progress at my own pace. And um, yeah. <laughs> so now, as Ryan said, we're just going to bounce around a little bit here, but you're a freshman, but then you progress along, you end up winning five NCAA titles, 18. Mm-hmm all American honors, but it's actually 17. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I don't want Ryan's notes here, right? 17 times. It says 18 on the notes. I know. I don't want, um, I don't want to give you any time. I don't want to give, give you too much credit here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I want you to earn every one of those 18 all Americans that Ryan has written down. I wish it was Uh, 18. So, but, a race I watched uh, this year and sent out to my own team. So you get to your NCAA outdoors, um, your fifth year uh, at your home track in Oregon. Um, and you win the title by unleashing a furious kick the last 200 meters of an 800. So for anyone that hasn't seen the race, it's like really tactical up until mm-hmm. like 250 to go. And then you get tripped up a little mm-hmm. bit and then you explode like a cannon the last mm-hmm. 200. So my question is, was that race strategy? Was that what you went in? You're going to like sit or were you just like, that's the position you found yourself in? I think a little bit of both. I think, um, at that point being a senior, you having one indoors, um, had a great outdoor season. I was the favorite. I was kind of I was fit. I knew it. I was at the right level of confidence, but also pressure because they need those 10 points. Like we're also in the hunt for a team title. I also have events coming up with the four by four. Um, you know, there's a lot going on. And, uh, I think, you know, going into that race, my coach and I both trusted my instincts. Like I, I knew what I needed to do. That was like probably my 30th, 800 of the season, you know? Um, and he, he just like, he's like, got one move, like, you know, make it and make it a good one. Like, he's always like, if you just wait till 120 to go. You just need to like go at 120, commit like all out. Um, and so that was kind of the spot I had in my head. Like once you get to 120, like let it ride, you know? Um, but going into that race, I'm assuming all the other women in the field were looking at me as the favorite you know, and when you're in the race with someone who's the favorite, 
you're aware of them. You're playing off of them. Like I do the same thing when I'm in a race and there's favorites in the race, you're aware of what they're doing and like, when are they going to go or are they going to go out hard? Or are they going to sit and blow by me? Like what's going to happen? Um, and so it ended up being tactical and I was kind of just stuck in the middle, but I was okay with that. The first lap, you know, I was relaxed and comfortable and I was just waiting until my 120 to go. And then, you know, I, like you said, I got tripped up and then I just got kind of pissed. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, no way. When are you going to trip me? My senior year outdoors at home. And then like, I'm on the ground, my last race as a duck, you know? So I was like, no, I'm not like playing around anymore. We're not risking like any more trips. And so I was out of there. <laughs> good way to put it you were out of there for sure so if anyone (laughs) wants to see someone get out of there (laughs) just uh google laura raisler ncaa championship 800 because it's an awesome race to watch you go on to obviously you two-time indoor champion well indoor champion outdoor champion two ncaa titles Mm -hmm. and it puts you in pretty good contention to win the bowerman and you do win it and for anybody listening Mm -hmm. that doesn't know what the bowerman is people always refer to it as the Heisman of the track and field world. What was that experience like? Was that something you paid attention to all season or did it just kind of become an added bonus to the end of a great career? Um, I paid attention to it in terms of, you know, they came out with the watch lists um, and I'd be on the watch list. So in that case, like, you know, you're aware. Um, and but I never expected, you know, really to like end up being a semifinalist and, you know, going to this award ceremony and all that. And so that was already like a win for me. And um, I never, I was not expecting to win it. Uh, I do remember, you know, when they call announced my name and, you know, they have the camera on you and I'm pretty sure I like said something like, holy, you know, swear word. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I swore. <laughs> And I like remember like my dad's like you could see your lips like what you're saying on the camera, you know, because I really didn't expect it. Um, so that really just was icing on the cake on like what you could call a, a perfect season for me in my mind. Um, not perfect, nobody's perfect, but um, you know, I finally reached the goals I'd been, you know, shooting towards and working towards for those four years at Oregon. I was finally an NCAA champion indoors and outdoors, and um you know, I had ended up finally running under two flat the week after at USA's wearing my Oregon uniform. Um, you know, it just kind of was the icing on the cake and rounded out a really great year for me. And, uh, I just, I sometimes still can't believe like I won it. I'm in such like such amazing company. When you look at the names of people, men and women who've um, been up for the award and won the award, uh, it's, he kind of got to pinch me because sometimes it's like, nah, I didn't do that. <laughs> Where do you keep the trophy? Um, it was at my parents' house for like the whole time I won it until just recently. I brought it back to Florida with me after like Thanksgiving this year. Um, Cause when we move into our new house, um, we'll probably put it in the closet there. It's just like, so big i just it's Put not a closet well it's not a it's, it's not a good centerpiece and it's huge I would and like strap what the, it i would strap <laughs> it to the front of my car well, and my and no, license plate you literally would be can. it's like 35 to 40 pounds it's extremely heavy drive a truck and pull it around town <laughs> so everyone knew i had it so you're gonna put it in the closet i guess 
<laughs> if you're going to put it in the closet, give it to me. I'll put it in my house in the front center. I mean, it's like a hand, it's like a piece of art. It's like handmade and like, I'm pretty sure it's 14 karat gold on the outside. So like you have it out, like, like even I am not supposed to handle it without these like special gloves. Cause like oils on your hands can like Holy ruin God. the materials and this and that. Wow. So like, if you have it out, people are going to want to like poke, 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 like touch, touch, touch. And yeah. you know, and then like, Again, it's heavy and people are like, oh, let me pick it up. And like, I don't think you're expecting, it's 40 pounds. It's very heavy. Uh, it's just a little, uh, we need a place for it. Okay. It's a little uh, right. bit of well, a Well, you'll find a place. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> so right out of college, you win the Bowerman, you start your professional career, but you told us earlier in Jacksonville now, correct? Mm-hmm. But that's not where you started out your professional career. So tell us a little bit about the transition from then college to becoming a pro. Yeah, I've kind of been all over the place since I left Oregon. Um, when I left Oregon, I moved to San Antonio, Texas, because that's where my still coach, Rose Monday, lives. Um, and I lived there for two years and trained down there with her. And then I ended up moving to Georgia for a year and trained at UGA University of Georgia. Um, and then I was in Georgia for one year and, and moved down to Jacksonville and I've been in Jacksonville ever since. And Rose has continued to be my coach from afar, which has been hard, but it's also been awesome. We have a great relationship and great communication and um, she's a great coach for me, but more importantly, like just a very supportive person and um, a really important person in my life. Um, and so all those transitions were made much easier having her around, but uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be in Florida. It's a good setup for me. Great training weather. Of course, I have great facilities available to me, which is awesome. And um, I get to be around a college team, which is always a fun environment. Um, so you don't realize what you got till you're, until you're gone. You know, you don't realize how great it is to have, a team and get to meet for practice every day and just have bodies around when you're working out. Um, so it's, it's good. It's, it's fun. So after you got done though, so now you're moved to San Antonio, now you're in Florida, but then you've been traveling. I mean, not just domestically, but around, the, around the world. And I want to ask mm -hmm. one in, in specific race, cause your PR one fifty nine Oh four is from USA's right. Yeah. Okay. But you ran one fifty nine in Monaco. Yeah. Is that, that right? That same summer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That same summer. What is, first of all, so you're on the diamond league, like that's such a cool thing, but like Monaco in particular, like that place fascinates me. I think it's like the opposite of Fargo. So when I think about it, I'm like, and I always look like I, how much it costs to like buy an apartment there. And it's like $8,000 oh, a square foot. And they yeah. have this meet in this beautiful stadium. Sorry, I'll let you talk in a second. I just need to keep ranting about how much I think Monaco is just like this insane otherworldly place. But so kind of wrap that into like what life is like on like that type of circuit where you're with the best athletes in the whole world. Okay. But I will touch on, you are right about Monaco. That's exactly how I thought of it. Been there twice now when I raced there. And I also paced a couple years later in that race. Um, it is the exact opposite of Fargo. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you brought that I up because, because uh, Andrew, my fiance, Andrew and I were watching Jeopardy the other night. Don't judge me. Um, we like to watch Jeopardy reruns and they had a question on there. Like what's the most densely populated, like per square mile uh, country in the world. And, you know, we're like thinking like India or whatever. And 
it, it's Monaco. And I'm like, wow. well, duh. And it makes sense. Cause first of all, Monaco is so small, but like you're, everything's literally on top of each other. Like you guys, if you're thinking of Fargo, there's like open spaces, like planes and people have yards and stuff. That's not the case. There's no grass. It's the opposite. There's literally no grass. Like, it's like, it's a cement jungle. There's like levels to the city. Like there's built, I mean, there's just buildings on top of buildings. Um, it's, almost claustrophobic feeling it's very cool but uh um, yeah it's very different but uh back to your question the um being on the diamond league circuit uh it's pretty cool it, it was almost a little bit surreal because um that's pretty much the upper echelon of our sport you know um so you're like rubbing elbows with all the best people in the world go to those meets so like now yeah. i was like in very high company. I'm not just like watching these people on TV. Like we're all sitting in the same dining hall, you know, and there's like world record holders and Olympic gold medalists all scattered across the whole room. Uh, so it's kind of wild and quite intimidating, you know, like warming up, going into the stadium, like just like racing against a field of that caliber is, you know, obviously I, it almost felt like, you know, like, state track meet senior year all over again like all the nerves or like the trial semifinal round my sophomore you know as a sophomore yeah. in high school it's uh it's hard not to let the nerves get the best of you but uh you know it's all honestly just like a blur but um it's definitely a different lifestyle um the traveling to different meets you mostly just see the hotel and the track um but you do get to meet a lot of really cool people and I do like the fact that track though, like, you know, you're in the room with all these people who have accomplished so much. Um, they're just people like, you know, they talk to you like regular people. Uh, you know, Andrew, it's, I, I really think the track community is, is very unique and um, special in that way. Yeah. I've heard yeah, a lot of other awesome. runners say that about Andrew, like Andrew's just a normal guy. Like you know, he's, <laughs> he's all this talk and all this hype, but, but when it really comes down to it, he's just a, he's just a regular dude. He's just a regular dude. dude to, be able to, to be able to stay humble after four people on Instagram voted me into this position, I don't think a regular person could do it. Like, yeah, how do I you can do handle it? the fame. I, you listen, I'm blessed. <laughs> so, Laura, just like you mentioned Monaco being one of the like professional events that's really stood out to you. But I think a lot of people associate you with those World Indoor Champs in Portland in 2016. What was that experience like? Uh, it was fun. Uh, I mean, it's really cool to be at a world championship meet, but like be at home. I mean, in Portland, in the United States, but also, you know, in an area I feel very comfortable with. And, you know, it really did feel like a home meet to me almost because I was, I'm an Oregon gal, you know? Um, and a little bittersweet ending up fourth, you know, it's the spot like no one wants to be in, but also at the end of the day, like I was one place to shy, like one place shy from being on the podium. So it was also really cool for me. Um, and, uh, I was actually dealing with some Achilles injuries at the time. So I was in quite a bit of pain, like excruciating pain, that whole indoor season, that meet. Uh, so for me to end up fourth for me, it was a big win for just how the weeks had been going and what kind of state my body was in. Um, yeah, it was really cool. I got my, you know, family was there. My coach was there. Uh, yeah, to place fourth at a world indoors. Uh, I'm definitely 
pretty proud of that. That's one of the things I'm most proud of. So now, like, take us now up to today, like 99 days away from the Olympic trials coming off a year where I don't know how much, if you competed this last year, I, for some reason I can remember stats from 2005, but I don't know, but this last year has been pretty low key for you. And you keep things low key in general. Not everyone knows like what you're up to and we're not going to mm-hmm. ask the hard hitting questions here, you know, to try to get in, figure out exactly what's going on, but how do you feel with 99 days out coming off a year where we lived through a global pandemic? Um, I feel okay. Uh, I did not race last year. Um, you know, we, it, for me, it was kind of like going into an Olympic year. It's just, that's your mindset. It's going into an Olympic year. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of mental and emotional and physical energy that goes towards that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of buildup, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, like, and there's a big plan and a big picture to be ready, you know, for the third week of June. And so when all that stuff started to happen in March, you know, you're on this build up, 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 and all that stuff happened in March, it kind of just felt like a huge crash for me personally, just like the emotional and mental part of it was just like, you know, you're so laser focused and zoned in and just locked in what you need to do. And that really just kind of took the wind out of the sails. Um, So I ended up, you know, we went back to, I went back to like mileage in like April and May because it was just like no one knew like as and no one in any profession anywhere in the world no one knew what was going to happen we didn't know if track meets were going to be back we didn't even know if we were going to be allowed out of our house you know like um so it was like it was a kind of a nice little switch of gears to just be able to go out and go for a run and enjoy just running and that was kind of the escape during that time we all had different ways of dealing with the pandemic and I was happy to be able to have that. And, um, I actually ended up getting a PRP injection in my Achilles last May, just because no one knew what, uh, was going to go on with the seasons and stuff. And at that point it was still kind of like rough, like, you know, they did end up having um, track meets the end of 2020, like, you know, August, September, October ish. But, um, it seemed like the right time to try to really, get healthy and um, didn't need to worry about the Olympics or the Olympic trials or anything like that. Um, And so I got healthy and all healed up and started training again this past August. And since then just been training and working hard and making progress. Uh, I'm actually already qualified for the trials. I of course would love to race and um, you know, races are good, but uh, it does feel nice not to have that little bit of, pressure in the back of my mind that I need to qualify and hit a time is that and a from, standard. Is that from 159 in Boston? Yeah. So before okay. they decided to scrap and postpone the trials in the Olympics, um, you know, they were like, this is early 2020. They're like, Oh, there's no racing opportunities for our athletes to get their qualifiers for the trials in 2020. So the original qualifying period was supposed to be from like May, 2019 until like, you know, right before the trials in 2020. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we'll just extend it to the beginning January of 2019, January 1st, so that, you know, there's just a bigger window and more people will have mm-hmm. times that'll count, like just fill the fields. Yeah. Um. So, but then, you know, they postponed everything, but that still holds. So I'm qualified, yeah. which is good to know, Um, you know, and the focus is obviously third week of June, but uh, 
right now I'm just focusing on day by day, just progressing. And, you know, when I'm ready to get out there and lace up the spikes for a race, you know, I'll know, but, um, right now just trying to take care of the little things and, and be smart. Mm-hmm. So nothing on the calendar as it stands right now. Not yet. And it's still kind of, you know, as you guys know, a little weird, there's meets, you know, obviously no spectators and there's opportunities I could have. It just has to be the right time. Um, and you know, it is still the middle of March. Um, I was kind of aiming towards the end of this month or April. So we'll just, I'll just have to kind of see, you know, how my training's looking because of the PRP and the slow start to the fall. Um, I'm not exactly where I normally would be, but I'm definitely getting there. So um, I'll just have to see where it fits in. Yeah, that's an interesting thought because typically at this time of the season, people are coming off indoor, but with everything going on, there seems to be like outdoor meets every weekend. So it Mm -hmm. feels like it's like outdoor season, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like still a ways off here. And a lot of people still need those Olympic trials qualifiers, mm-hmm. which again, I'm lucky enough to not have that stress. I don't do not have the Olympic standard, but um, you know, you'll probably be running under the Olympic standard to make the Olympic team in the women's 800. So yeah, that's not mm-hmm. a huge concern of mine mm-hmm. more. So starting to get race ready, race sharp, race fit, that kind of stuff. Yeah. These are going to be your fourth Olympic trials. And when I think of athletes that have been in four Olympic trials, I think of old dudes like Bernard Lagat, but you're still like really young. Does that just like blow your oh, mind you. ever? <laughs> um, he said really young. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're acting um, like you're like Andrew's age. But... <laughs> hey, Laura and I are both in our late twenties as late was established 20. when we weren't recording. Late twenties. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I actually have reflected on that a lot, especially this past year, since things were postponed, we obviously all had a lot of time to think. And um, it is kind of crazy. Like when you were asking me about my first trials experience, I mean, even thinking like that was quite a while ago, that was in 2008, you know, so even thinking back to that time and how much different everything is and different I am as an athlete, um, it's, it's definitely not something I thought I'd ever be able to accomplish. And um, it feels pretty cool to know that I've now qualified for my fourth Olympic trials. Um, you know, it's hard in the United States in any sport across the board to compete in Olympic trials and compete at the top level. So I, it's not something I take for granted and take lightly because, uh, you know, getting to the trials is just step one. It's just truly a battle, <laughs> but uh <laughs> I think it'll play into my favor because um, there's not going to be a lot of people there who's going to be their fourth trials. Um, so I'll feel a little more comfortable, definitely more comfortable than the first go around. Um, definitely more seasoned and more experienced and um, that should play well into my favor. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Sorry. By wrapping it up. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Listen, I'm the host. I can wrap it up whatever I want. I do what I want on this podcast. Um, Ryan, do you want to wrap it up? No, you, you should do it. Go for it. I you want were, you to do it. I have the outro. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, Laura, we just want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Truly the goat of North Dakota running. Um, I, my opinion, best of any sport. I mean, I know we had guys who pitched like four games in the major leagues that everyone wants to say are better athletes, but 
uh, Laura is the best athlete to ever come um, from the state of North Dakota. And that's the only reason I did this podcast was so I could interview you, Laura. And I told Laura that I said, the only way I'm doing this is if we get Laura on, because if I'm going to do this, we got to talk to the best. So we got it. So we appreciate you taking the time to do this, Laura. Oh, you just made I'm a my nice, night. I don't, uh, I don't agree with all of that, but I appreciate <laughs> it nonetheless. It's too bad I had to hate on some unknown baseball players that I kind of made up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even specifically say who it was. That's all right. What are the odds that they're going to hear this? They probably won't. Really good, Laura. Laura, this is the Prairie <laughs> Track and Field podcast. But we're okay? making it big. We're going to be this is hey, just big wait. time. Just I wait. know, right? I know. Hey, I'm having just as much fun as I would on any other podcast or any other interview. So look at you know, look at that, this Ryan. has been great. Mm. You do it Can just you... as well as everyone else. Laura, yeah. would you would you mind writing a review for us on Apple Podcasts? <laughs> sure. I don't even know how to do that, but I definitely think I can figure hold, it out. Hold on, Laura. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So you don't listen to the Prairie Track and Field podcast? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this one. I actually, you know, I was thinking when you did your intro, you know, my parents adore you. My mom loves you. When you did your little intro, I'm going to play the podcast for her just so she can hear that. Cause I know it'll oh, make her laugh because she always okay. says how funny you are. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Mrs. Raisler and I are, are good friends. We selfie a lot at track meets, you know, we're on that yeah. level. So I know I Wonderful. always get the selfies. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we're talking about me selfieing, it's definitely okay. time to wrap this up now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Laura, so much. It was good to have you. And um, especially this time with like a lot of high school athletes starting their seasons and getting into some of the training, hopefully they can just hear your stories and be motivated and be inspired and hopefully go out and get after it like you have. So. <laughs> hey, no, you know what? They just need to know that no matter where you're from, how old you are, any of that, or, you, you know, however small of state you come from, it really doesn't matter. You can, you can kind of do whatever you set your mind to. So. Sweet. Now that's a good outro. There yeah, you go. We'll, yeah. We'll go. end on that Boom. one. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Drop okay. the mic. <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. I, yeah. I thank you again. Fun. Thank you.